0: Welcome, welcome. We're glad you're here. What a lovely day for baptisms. Doesn't seem to be slowing us down. 118 people already have gotten baptized this weekend. And uh, I don't even know what's going on at Lockport. So fantastic. Um, Next weekend is Easter. Really cool. Uh, We got these peeps. Invite your peeps. I know it seems weird, but it's worked. I'm hearing a lot of stories of people going, oh, yeah, I gave these to somebody. And uh, you know, I mean, you got the label on the back with all the services. Here's why we do this, all right? This is the soup. This is like, this is like, next weekend is like the final four of, you know, like reality of life and death, okay? Forget about the rest of it. This is the final four. This is, this is the big deal. This is everything, and uh, we want you to be inviting people. That's why we're doing 14 services, you guys. Uh, at, at the Orland campus, we're doing uh, one on Thursday, two on Friday, four on Saturday, uh, one, three, five, and seven and then three on Sunday morning to try to get all the Easter services in to get enough room for you to invite your friends and we wanna be able to do that. If you've got somebody that you would like for us to pray over, here's a picture of the staff praying last weekend or or this last week over the cards that you turned in. Fill it out on your Next Steps card. We always wanna know what's going on in your life and we will pray for them this week. We've already heard some great stories of that as well. Uh, People that are are interested in uh, you know, like God's doing things in their life. I can't tell you how many great stories of baptisms of God moving. I had a lady that we just baptized. I mean, she was the second weekend here. She's just like, I don't even know why I'm here. I just feel like God really wanted me to do this. We had an 87-year-old guy get baptized at the last service. I don't know what your problem is today, but 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 forget about it. Don't don't be trying to give me excuses of why this is not the important thing, okay? This is the God movement. And so we want to pray over the cards of the people that you're gonna invite next weekend as well. Uh, we also need some help volunteering, there's balloons around all over the, all over the foyer, we, if, you, if you'll fill out your Next Steps card and let us know that you can help with all those services, we got a lot of stuff to do, and we definitely need you to, to jump in and help us out with some things, all right? So here's what we've been doing. Um, we've been doing this series on, um, uh, on God because the, the very first thing, that the most important thing that Jesus tells us is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Uh, that, that's the most important thing. And if, if that's the first and foremost commandment, then you need to understand who God is. If you, don't, if you don't, can't understand him, you can't love him. So we've talked about God being the father. That's the most important thing. We did that the first week. Uh, we talked about God being the great I am and that God is big and that God guides us. And then Casey did a great job last weekend with God transforming us. Didn't he? that whole Potter thing and what God is all about. I do have to put a little disclaimer in though. I mean, There was one part, you know, I mean, I got to critique Casey's sermons when he's up, because, you know, seriously, the story about having to stop and go to the bathroom. I mean, that guy's kidneys are half the age of mine. Old guys, was that offensive to you? I mean, seriously, like, aren't you like looking at him like, dude, you're like 12. You don't have a problem with needing to go to the bathroom until you're our age. Can I get an amen from you, old guys? Okay. Come on, your prostate's half the age of mine. Forget about it. Other than that, it was a great great sermon, okay? Well, the important part is what comes to our mind tozer said is when we think about God is the most important thing. That's the most important thing that happens. And the problem is literally around the globe there are billions of people who think of God as this mean, nasty, awful person up in heaven who's mad at us. Um kind of like Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. And now, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. If a kid asks where rain comes from, I think a cute thing is to tell him God is crying. And if he asks why God is crying, another cute thing is to tell him, probably because of something you did. These have been Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. The problem is a lot of people think that. You know, they think that God is this this mad, angry person up in heaven, and they'll never please him. And how could you love that God? Dallas Willard says it this way, the acid test for any theology is this, is the God presented, one that can be loved, heart, soul, mind, and strength. If the thoughtful, honest answer is no, not really, then we need to look elsewhere, or we need to look deeper, because it doesn't really matter how sophisticated intellectually or doctrinally the approach is, if it fails to set up a lovable God, if it fails to give us a lovable God, a radiant, happy, friendly, accessible, and totally competent being before ordinary people, we have gone wrong. We should not keep going in the same direction. We should turn and take another road altogether. Do you understand that? If we're going to understand, who, if we're going to love God, the only way we can love God is if we know who God really is. And if you know who God really is, you can't help but love God. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why does he do that? He, he, makes, he makes this whole deal that we live in. And he makes the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. And then, and then he makes the crown of creation, the main purpose you and me. And the question that you ought to ask when you very begin in the very beginning of the Bible is, why does he do that? He already has angels. He already has created beings that, that are there to serve him. Why, why does he do that? Why does he make people? Does he, does he go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the, you know, the, the world and then I'm going to make the garden. And then he's like, oh, that's cool. Now I'm going to make animals. And I, oh, I'm on a roll. I'm going to make people. And that's not the way it goes. God made all of this for us. He made all of the heavens and the Earth as a house to get ready for His kids. The creation story is, is the same story maybe you've had along the way when you found out that you, your kid was, you, that you were going to have a kid, your wife was going to have a kid, that you guys were going to have a kid, and, and you painted the room, and you got the room ready because you are excited because you're going to be a dad. You're going to be a mom. I want you to understand that up front. Everything that goes on, everything that happens in the Bible is all about the fact from the beginning until the very end, it's all about the fact that God loves us. F.B. Meyer says it this way, the love of God towards you is like an Amazon river of love flowing down to water a single daisy. And if you get that, it'll help you forever. If you don't, it, it's going to mess you up forever. Many people see God like the little boy who was in trouble one day, just having one of those days. And finally, mom said, all right, that's it. It's time for spanking. And um, he ran off. He ran up to his room to hide, and he crawled under his bed. And about that time, his, his dad came home. And, and mom was like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. You go deal with it. And so dad goes up to the room. He gets down on his knees to crawl under the bed to get the little kid. And when he gets down and he starts to crawl under the bed, the little boy goes, Is she after you too? (laughs) I I, I laugh, but you got to laugh, but you got to understand that's how a lot of people view God. It's like this angry, angry parent. It's like when people find out that I'm a pastor. Sometimes I get a positive reaction. Sometimes I get a negative reaction. More often than you'd imagine, people say, get the blank out of here when I tell them I'm a pastor. And I always love that one. But sometimes, when I tell people I'm a pastor, I see the blood just literally drain from their face, you know, like, oh man, I'm busted, like I'm an undercover agent for the HBI, you know, the Heavenly Bureau of Investigation. I haven't told this story in a while, but many years ago, I was driving late one night in the Crete University Park kind of area, coming back from a meeting. I didn't know my way. I didn't even know what road I was on, and I was, it was late at night, and I was wanting to get home, and, and uh, evidently, I was speeding, because all of a sudden, there was a police officer behind me with his lights flashing. So I pulled over. Not only had I been speeding, but my car tag had expired, and I didn't realize it. Um, when he asked for my license and said, "Do you still live at this address?" I had to say, "Well, no, I don't. I don't live there either. Um, I, I, I moved a while ago." And he's like, "Well, you know, after you know, six months, you only have six months to change your license, or then you know." So I had three strikes against me. The reason I didn't have my card tag up to date was because I'd moved and you know didn't get the notice at my car tag. So I got three strikes against me. So he takes a look at my commercial driver's license and he says, I see you have a commercial driver's, li- commercial driver's license. You know, as a professional driver, you ought to be more careful than this. I said, well, I'm, I'm not really a professional driver. <laughs> he said, well, why do you have a CDL license? And I said, well, It's because I'm a pastor and I have to have it to drive the church bus. I mean that's a true story, anything over 19 passengers you have to have a CDL and back in those days I mowed the lawn, I drove the bus, I did everything, okay? Have you ever seen the blood drain from the face of a police officer who is busting you for breaking the law? It was quite ironic. I mean, he literally couldn't say a word. He just said, "Okay, just a minute," and, and he went back to his car and he just sat there for a while, <laughs> a, a really long while. And, and eventually, he walks back up to the window, hands me my license and my and my insurance card, and said, "I can't give you a ticket. You should be more careful, but I just can't give you a ticket." Uh, you know, I wasn't gonna argue, but um, <laughs> I, I promise I'm not making this up. I said, "Oh, okay." I promise, the next thing he said was, I haven't been to confession in years. (laughs) Now, I have since installed a little curtain in my driver's side window, (laughs) in case this ever happens again. But at that point, I was as dumbfounded as he was. And he started in to lament about, you know, how disappointed his mom was in him because he doesn't go to church anymore. And, And I'm sitting there thinking... God had me speed to answer a woman's prayer today. This is really interesting. And and I assured him of what I'm trying to tell you, that God loved him and I invited him to church and I gave him a card. I never saw him again, I don't think, but but I drove off feeling really relieved at my acquittal, but also really, really sad. Is that that what happens? Is that what you think of your relationship with God? Now, Now, I just gotta say, you, a lot of times when I tell one of these old stories about something that happened, somebody comes up and goes, hey, that was me. I go to Parkview now. I, I really hope if you think, think, rack your brains. If you were like Will County or I don't know, you know, a, a state person or a, or, or a police officer in the Crete University Park area, early 90s. Think back about that. Do you remember pulling over somebody who, who, who freaked you out because he was a pastor? If you're here now, I really want to say hello. I mean, I really want to meet you. And I really hope that that person has figured out that a relationship with God is not like that. It's not like the schoolboy that C.S. Lewis asked, what do you think of God one day? And the boy said, as far as I can make out, God is the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying themselves and trying to stop it. (laughs) I I don't want you to raise your hand, but a lot of us grew up with that kind of a feeling. And I'm not saying that that guilt is, is not legitimate, okay? I mean, I should have gotten a ticket for speeding because speeding might hurt me or it might hurt someone else. I understand guilt. Sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit is convicting me of sin in my life, and I need to go, oh, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. But, but if I've got this image of God as the guy up in heaven crying because I've made some, I've made some mistake, or I'm the God up in heaven who's always snooping around trying to stop my fun, or the God up in heaven who, who is after me, then I'm never going to have a good relationship. I'm always going to be running away from him if you've got guilt over something that happened a long time ago and you've already asked God for forgiveness, you're living in a prison that you have made. And God absolutely does not want you there. Psychiatrist Carl Menegin said if the patients in his mental hospital could be convinced that they were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. Let me ask you, do you believe that God loves you? And do you believe that God will instantly and completely forgive you for everything you've ever done wrong? We're going to do a series after Easter called The Case for Grace. We're going to talk about grace for... Five weeks, and we're going to look at some stories from the New Testament stories of people with Jesus that experienced amazing grace in their life. And the reason we're doing this is because my friend Lee Strobel wrote a new book called The Case for Grace. It's just been released, it's just being released right now. And he's going to be actually speaking the week after Easter uh, to get us started on this series. Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter with the Chicago Tribune when his wife became a Christian. And he decided he didn't want any of that to happen, so he started doing investigative reporting on the Bible and on Jesus. And he investigative reported himself into the kingdom of God and wrote one of the best books you could ever read about Jesus called The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. And now he's got The Case for Grace. He's going to come and teach the week after Easter, and then you know, then we're going to talk about it because it is that important. It is the most important thing I can tell you. The prophet Micah said, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You don't stay angry, God. You delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Here's what happens. I'll talk to people and they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I did this a long time ago. I'm really having trouble with my relationship with God. And a lot of times I'll get to the point where I'll say, okay, listen, if you're having trouble, why don't we just pray about it and ask God to forgive us? But I have to, I have to say, now, now you've got to understand what's getting ready to happen. The irony of this is, if you have to bring this up to God again now and we're going to pray about it, God has no idea what you're talking about. He, he already took that sin and he hurled it into the deepest part of the sea. Here's his description through the prophet Isaiah. I am the God who blots out your transgressions. Listen to this. For my own sake. And remembers your sins no more. I, I'm, I'm really that kind of a guy. I don't, I don't remember what people do bad to me. Uh, I just, I just, I just, just, I just kind of move on because I don't need that. I, I, I don't want that. And that's who God is. He's not Santa Claus. He doesn't have a list. He's not checking it twice to find out who's naughty and nice. As soon as you ask him, it's gone. It's in the deepest part of the sea. A couple of guys were talking about one guy's argument he had with his wife the night before. And the guy said, every time we have an argument, my wife gets historical. The other guy said, You mean hysterical? The guy goes, no, I mean historical. I mean like she brings up all the past things and holds them against me. (laughs) That's not who God is. God is a God of love. And the reason that we exist and the reason that I do what I do is because I want you as the son and you as the daughter and God as the father to have a relationship again because I know how much he wants that to happen. Matter of fact, I've I've really been thinking, the next tattoo I want to get, I want the Sistine Chapel roof. You know, Michelangelo's, the hand of God reaching down to the hand of man. Maybe my little face right in the middle of it. (laughs) Because I think that's why God put me on the planet. So how does forgiveness work? I mean, we could talk about a lot of things, but let's talk about two very basic conditions for forgiveness. The first one is that we confess. The Bible says, "If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all the unrighteousness." That's the beauty of it. If we confess our sins, okay? If we, I mean, you got to start with a place where you want forgiveness. That's what that's what confessing means. My parents still haven't forgiven me for wrecking my Volkswagen bug beetle when I was 17 years old. We woke up one morning, and the car was not, my car was not in the driveway. It was a little orange beetle, and uh, it was not in the driveway. And um, I didn't know what had happened. I went back in the house. I, th- I said, I think somebody stole my car. It's not there. And we all went, you know, out, and we started looking around. And we started looking around, and m- my car had Gotten out somehow out of the driveway and rolled down the hill into a tree down below where we lived I mean there's one hill in Oklahoma, and we lived on it and, and it, there was just enough of an incline that that it went down and it was backed into a tree and there was a big ding in the back of the of the car, but it wasn't from the tree it was from something else because it it the bumper was fine it had somehow. Hit something underneath and creased it. We could not figure out what happened. My parents, to this day, think that I did something to the car and decided to cover it up with this glorious story of someone trying to steal my car and they left it down there, right? They haven't forgiven me for it because I never asked. I never asked because I didn't do it, it wasn't me, it was probably my sister, in heaven I'm going to ask God what happened to that car, and I'm going to rub your faces in it, in Christian love, okay, I don't, I still don't know, okay, and, and that's a bad idea when it comes to God's forgiveness. If that's your attitude with God, it's like, whoa, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I think if you're gonna try the works-based salvation, I'm a pretty good person. I do, I do okay. Let me tell you something: you can't get forgiveness until you admit that you stink. And and maybe, you know, whatever it is that somebody falsely accused you of, like messing up my bug, is something that you go, wait, oh, yeah, I didn't do that. But the truth of the matter is you've done a billion other things, right? I mean, there's a couple of things that I did do when I was 17 that they don't know about that I probably ought to get forgiveness for, so maybe I ought to just roll over on the VW. My, my attitude has to be different than that. I can't get forgiveness until I realize that I stink. Did you see the news report from Seattle this week? A police officer heard a man screaming, went to help, found a man impaled on a five-foot metal fence that he had tried to jump over and and you can only imagine how the impalement would have happened okay Not, not a good thing and the police officer supported the man until the you know medical people could come and help get him unimpaled off of the fence the police spokeswoman said the man thought he was a ninja She said he was overconfident in his abilities and that likely alcohol played a role. <laughs> if you are overconfident in your abilities, you can't be forgiven. Okay? If you think you're a ninja, then God's not going to be able to forgive you. There were a lot of ninja-like people in Jesus' day who thought that they were good enough. To some who were overconfident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I mean, this is a story Jesus is just making up as a parable. But but in in Jesus' story, the the Pharisee is pointing at this poor, lowly tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. I'm a ninja. (laughs) But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What is that? Confession. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. This man gets forgiveness, this man doesn't. Why? Because those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. First thing you do is confess. The second thing you do is is you receive. It says Jesus came to his own, and those who were his own from his own faith did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. You receive. Confess, you receive. Therefore, Paul said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so your logical question is: Have you done that? Have you received? Are you in Christ Jesus? Well, I don't know. Well, I could help you with that today. It's about your heart, it's about what's going on in here. But but let me ask you a question: Are you married? And if you are, how do you know you're married? Well, I was there, man. I was at the ceremony. It was long and boring, and the priest had all these things going on, and I had to wear a monkey suit, and it was a really, really long day. But I was there. I've got pictures to prove it. Did you ever graduate? Eighth grade, high school, you know, college, whatever. Yeah, yeah. How do you know you graduated? I walked across the stage. I wore the gown and the little... Hat with a funny little thing on. I still got the funny little thing on my, from my hat. I was there. I was at the ceremony. Why do we have ceremonies for important things in life? So that we can celebrate them and so that we can remember them. Do you know if you've received Christ? Do you know if you're in Christ? There is a ceremony. You can get married without a ceremony. You can graduate without a ceremony. you can be a Christian without a ceremony. But why would you? That's the whole idea of baptism, my friend. Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Okay, Check that. Think about that for a second. The very call to believe includes a call to get baptized. It must be a pretty important thing to Jesus, or he wouldn't have put it in there in the first place. And in every instance where we know of and where it's humanly possible, a person's acceptance of Christ in the Bible was accompanied by Baptism. Immediately, the church starts on uh, the very first day with Peter getting up, preaching to literally the people who had just crucified Jesus. And he says, Hey, guess what? You just crucified the Son of God. And they said, Uh oh, what do we do now? Have mercy on us. We've messed up. We're sinners. What should we do? And he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible goes on to say, those who gladly received the word and were baptized. And there were 3,000 people that very first day. They said, oh, yeah, we, we I mean, these, these are the people that just killed Jesus, okay? I, whatever it is you think you did so bad that, that God can't forgive you, these are the people that just yelled, crucify him, I don't think it gets any worse than that. Peter said, hey, it's okay. Admit, confess, and, and receive. You go through the whole book of Acts. I mean, there's just story after story. You get to Acts chapter 8, and there's Philip and this Ethiopian official, and he's explaining Jesus to this official. And, and the official sees water. I mean, we don't even know if Philip said anything about it. He sees water, and, and, Phil, and the guy says, hey, there's water. Shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip said, yeah, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I believe that. I'm going to get baptized. And immediately they went and got baptized. I could take you to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19. And in every instance, there's a place where somebody says, I confess, I need Jesus, I want Jesus. And immediately they go and they get baptized right then and there. Not only that, but the last thing that Jesus tells us, all of us, as a church, before he goes to heaven, the very last thing he says is, therefore, go and make, this is the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And when you go do that, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's that important. Now now you're going to say, a lot of you are going to say, Hey, I was my parents baptized me when I was little, and I confess you know, I confirmed it later, and, and that's cool. I'm just asking, do you think getting baptized the way Jesus did would help you or hurt you? Jesus walked 60 miles to get baptized. You know that? 60 miles through the desert to get baptized. Did Jesus need to get baptized? No, he was the perfect Son of God. Listen to this, Matthew 3. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, which is Awesome. You get a chance to go be baptized in the Jordan River. You got to go do it. It's awesome. John said, Whoa, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, I still want to do this because I let it be done now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I want to set an example of righteousness. And John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What part of that sounds like a bad idea to you? I mean, the whole idea of washing your sins away, the whole idea, all of that, uh, washing the old away and starting over again, it's so fascinating to me. I promise, I don't listen to that much pop music on the radio, but but do you know that one of the top ten songs in in the country right now is by Ella Henderson? It's about an ex-boyfriend and, you know, the ghost of this ex-boyfriend, but she says in this song, it just struck me, I was listening, I keep going to the river to pray, Because I need something that can wash away all the pain. It's so common that even, you know, even on the radio, that's the way it is. We're gonna do Carrie Underwood's song while the baptisms are going on. It was like one of the top songs on the country charts about baptism. I need someone to wash away all the pain, and so do you. At one time. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us, listen to the symbolism, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Lord, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We all need that. Ernest Hemingway, the famous... Pulitzer, Nobel Peace author, had a short story about a father and a son who had an estranged relationship. And the story took place in Spain. The son's name was Paco. It's kind of a retelling of the prodigal son in a way from Hemingway. And he tells this story of of how Paco runs off and how one day the dad decides he's going to go after him and he's going to find him. And he searches all over Madrid and he can't find his son anywhere. So he finally comes up with an idea and he puts in the local newspaper in Madrid an ad that says, Dear Paco, please meet me in front of the newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. The next morning... In front of the newspaper office, according to Hemingway's story, were 800 men named Paco. (laughs) How many of us are desiring a restored relationship with our loving Father up in heaven? Guys, next week is God's note in the newspaper. All is forgiven. I love you. I sent my son to pay the price for you. Just receive. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is for you. We're going to do the Carrie Underwood song. I said that. I mean, the song says there must be something in the water. Uh, there's nothing in the water, just the microbes that grow in Lake Michigan that we drink every day, okay? Okay. It's, it's a symbolism, and that's really what she's saying. It's not like that, but, 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 but it's a ceremony for you. That's why God gave us this ceremony. It's for you, to help you understand who you are, to help you understand that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Here's a message paraphrase of Romans 6. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, and we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. That's the symbolism that is so important. If you go to the Holy Land, you will see that the the baptistries that they used in the first century To immerse people into Jesus resembled their tombs in a very important way. It resembled their mausoleums because that was a whole part of the process. You're dying to the old self and you're rising up in new life. You are a new creation. Having been buried, Paul said, with him through baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Wouldn't it be awesome to celebrate the resurrection of the dead from Jesus next weekend after having celebrated the resurrection of your death this weekend you say well I can't do it today why not? nobody in the Bible planned it they just went for it well well, I haven't had a baptism class yet, you just did (laughs) (laughs) say I don't have a towel Oh, well, I don't, have a, I don't have anything to wear, you know, I got, I got T-shirts, we got all the like leftover youth group T-shirts, we got T-shirts everywhere around here. Oh, but I got to drive home and I'll get my car seats all wet, I'll put a plastic bag down for you so you don't get your car seat wet, okay? Well, what about my precious iPhone, what about that, what am I going to do? I put it in a baggie, we've got everything, listen, there's no, there's no excuse you can come up with that we haven't already thought of, but my family's not here. Yeah, they are. I mean, this isn't between you and your earthly family. It's between you and your heavenly family. Your real dad is here. And in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. And your real dad is going to look down on you when you do this and say, way to go. That's my son. I'm well pleased. That's my daughter. I'm well pleased. If this is your day, don't make an excuse. When God called the Apostle Paul from being the persecutor of Christians to being the leader of Christians, he gave him a mentor named Ananias. And Ananias helped Paul. And then at one point, he finally said, you need to get baptized, dude. He even says it in a kind of a direct way that I will throw back at you. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. And wash your sins away, calling on his name. Do it today. During communion, we're going to stand and pray before communion. And during communion, just get out, go to the back, come up to this front table, and sign up and go. 118 people already. Might as well join us. We we, we, We want you and your Father to have the relationship that you're supposed to have and we will do anything to help you. As I looked at some of the, you know, I always go back and look at some of the stuff that I've done on baptism. I I just did a search on my hard drive for baptism and I came up with one of the letters. I I wrote my daughters a a letter after their baptism and I I pulled one of them up and I want to read it for you because I want you to imagine that that God, this is you and God, okay? That this is the way God feels about you. My dear daughter, my heart is so filled with pride as I think about your baptism on Sunday. It was one of the most special moments of my life. I'm so proud of you and the way you turned out. I know you have a lot of growing to do. I know there will be some hard times in the future. I pray for your life to be perfect, but I know it won't be perfect. With Jesus, it'll be great, though. He said, I have come that you might have an abundant life. Not just a life, but an abundant life, a great life. There may come times when you and I aren't getting along well. I hope not, but if it happens, you can always come back and read this letter and know that I love you forever. I love you for always. No matter what happens, my baby, you'll be. That was a little kid's book that we used to read when they were little. I love you more than my own life. I would give you anything you needed, but remember that your Heavenly Father is even better prepared to help you and love you than I am. I'm a sad reflection of how great your spiritual dad is. God is so proud of you. Jesus is ready to help you now that you have officially chosen his team. However, now the devil also knows whose side you're on, and he will try to tempt you like he did Jesus after his baptism. Satan wants you to mess up your life with sin. Don't do it. I've seen too much of what sin does to people. You do do your best to follow Christ in everything you do. And if you mess up, which you will, you know that Jesus loves you and he always forgives you and that your sins washed away. Just turn back to him, and he will always be there for you. Just remember that you are saved by grace. That means that God chose to save you because he wanted to, not because you were good. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. It's a gift. You have taken that gift, and I pray that you will never let go. The Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's like the jars of applesauce that mom cans and when we open them the air comes out and it hisses and that means they were sealed tight they were sealed so tight that nothing could get in and make them bad that's what you are you are sealed shut in christ nothing bad can harm you you can't turn anything to turn you can't do anything to turn god's love away and you can't do anything to turn my love away your mom and i will always be here for you we love each other we love you girls And we will never stop. We are so happy for you. We love you so much. We're proud of you. My heart is so full of love, it's bursting like an overblown balloon. Don't ever forget how much we love you. Anything you ever need from us is yours. I love you, Dad. That's your letter from your Heavenly Father. Except it's better than that. We're going to take communion. That's the sacrament we do every week here. If you're new, if you're visiting, whatever. You don't have to be from Parkview. If you're a believer, you're part of us. Take both cups when they come by and, and, and just hold them. There's bread in the bottom one and juice in the top. Just take them both and hold them, and we'll commune together in unison. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm really only asking you to stand and pray because I want to make it easy for people to get out. We can sing just as I am, if you want to. I just want to make it easy, and we're going to pray. And if God is calling you, like the eighty-seven-year-old man, like, like like the couple that is getting married next month, like the story after story after story in the tub, we baptized a guy one time that had a ankle bracelet that was from like you know like he was under house arrest, and we couldn't get it wet he was allowed to come to church we had to baptize him backward with his leg up in the air there is no excuse you can come up with that we will not be able to handle because we want we want that let's pray God thank you I do have the best job in the world I'm thankful for getting to be the guy that connects, and and I feel bad when I meet people like that police officer who think that you're the the, the snooping around God, you're the angry God, you're the crying God, you're the God who's after us. I'm sorry for those people, and I'm sorry for the religious systems, all kinds of them, that present God as some kind of of an angry person up in the sky. Lord, I know that you created all of this for us because you love us and you wanted us to be your children and you are our father in heaven and you gave the ultimate sacrifice of your only son so that you could adopt all the rest of us back into your family. And when I get that, the greatest commandment is the stinking easiest thing in the world. How could I not love the Lord My God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. As we take communion right now, be with us as we understand, Jesus, how much you gave for us. And Father, how much you gave for us so that we could be free, so that our sins could be hurled into the deepest parts of the sea. If there are people in here who who just don't know where they're at with you, Lord, this is the moment where they say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, and let them humble themselves in their hearts right now and say, I want you to come in. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And if there are people here who need to get baptized, maybe they're making a decision. Maybe it's time for a a recommitment. Maybe they're just going to fulfill all righteousness like you did, Jesus, and just say, you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. Will you please spur them to come out and join us in the tub? I thank you, Lord. Be with us in Jesus' name.